there's been changes that are positive, yeah, that are in some cases revolutionary because they've made it possible for patients and people who are ill to access cannabis as a medicine. But what we still have not seen is that these um, benefits are also going to the communities that have been so affected by its prohibition and its policies. This is the Cannabis Enigma, cutting through the smoke to have informed, serious conversations for regular people. Hi, I'm Milana Goldberg. And I'm Michael Schaefer-Omerman. What have you got for us today, Mike? So this is an interview that I've been really looking forward to getting out there. I spoke with Pin Metal, who is a senior projects coordinator at the Drugs and Democracy Program of the Transnational Institute. And as all those words suggest, she works on transnational drug policy. Uh, one of the things that interested me the most about this interview was her work in trying to ensure that indigenous peoples and communities that have been growing and using cannabis traditionally for centuries are not left out of legalization and, and all the opportunities that come, come with legalization and, and that, you know, in general, communities that, that have been harmed by prohibition um, are not left behind. Yeah, it's a really different kind of side of the medical cannabis story than, than, than we tell most of the time, I suppose, on this podcast and also on the Kenigma, but also very different to the rest of the interviews that we conducted at CanEx in Lisbon back in February. Right. And we also spoke about medical cannabis, um, particularly about how with you know all of the, the huge benefits of medical cannabis legalization and even decriminalization around the world, those are still kind of half measures and that that itself poses a drawback in some ways. Let's hear it from Pin. Thank you so much for being with us. Obviously, we've seen a lot of change uh, in the last decade in particular in, in cannabis policy and, and drug policy and the changing ways, the categories that it's being put into. Um, even if legally that hasn't changed on a broader scale, um, there is such a thing as medical cannabis today in the sort of legitimate policy discussions. Um, from your perspective, as somebody who's been working on these issues for longer than that, um, how, how did that sort of come to be and, and where does it stand? Where, where are we today? Well, we've been working very hard <laughs> to get this far. <laughs> I mean, yeah, from the onset, from the beginning of our work in drug policy, we've been, yeah, highlighting the contradictions and the adversary effects of drug policy prohibition uh, on societies generally. And we have been working specifically with the, with the farmers and the communities that have been affected uh, to a really high degree by uh, the drug policy, repressive drug policies that uh, have been implemented and inspired by prohibition. Um, what we've seen is that there's been changes going on that have uh, that are positive, yeah, that are quite, um, in some cases, revolutionary because they've made it possible to for, for patients and people who are ill to access cannabis as a medicine. Um, but what we still have not seen is that these 
um, benefits are also going to the communities that have been so affected by its prohibition and its policy. So we are working mainly from that perspective, where cannabis has been part of the tradition for for centuries, and where current the current changes are uh, not inclusive of them. Uh, so there's still a long way to go, we think. Yeah. The context of that that I'm familiar with um, is the the American context, where we've seen, you know, with with each new state that um, advances either decriminalization or legalization, full legalization, or or even medical programs, that there are we're seeing more and more, probably not enough, uh, efforts and initiatives and programs to include uh, communities that were negatively impacted by prohibition and and the war on drugs. Um, I'm, I'm assuming it's it's a similar uh, approach of trying to to implement equitable or reparative uh, yeah. programs. Yes. How, how do they compare? I mean, of course, the United States is a relevant case um, internally, but we are looking more at the global scale. So, um, let's say countries from the global s- south, where um, these policies have been implemented. Uh, for the past decades, that have bear the brunt of the, the of, of the repression, um, where poverty and exclusion is also is already a big factor, and where socio economic development is is very uh, uh, long distance, let's say. So um, we we tend to look at it from a perspective of a global scale. Uh, we also studied, for example, the reason why cannabis, how cannabis ca- became included into the international treaties, um, and there it's very, it's become very clear that it's been a, a bunch of countries, amongst whom the United States, um, to um, to advocate for the prohibition of cannabis based on a lot of racial and uh, other um, prejudice. <clears throat> Can you explain what that? Yeah, well, like. I mean, there's never been a real uh, scientific evidence-based research on why cannabis should be a prohibited substance. Uh, it has been based on a, a series of assumptions that cannabis would lead to, uh, how do you call it, the stepping, no, the, the... Gateway drug. Gateway drug to other drugs, but also that it would uh, have uh, effects on the morality of the people who use it and... Um, it literally says that people of black uh, colored people and Mohemedians were were uh, it's in a context of a uh, let's say a religious um, moral kind of context um, and a threat to our our uh, uh, Christian or uh, societies that uh, was posed by using cannabis. So so in that context, it was placed on the lists. And now that these changes might, these these the situation may change, or there may be access, there may be some recognition of medical uses of cannabis uh, for which has not existed. It still is based. This whole system is based on on these assumptions. So um, what we are trying to do is not only highlight that or or study it or bring out documents that have been used but also try to find a way out because we think that medical cannabis is just a very tiny part of a far bigger problem do you think it's helpful or harmful um that 
the questions of medical cannabis and drug reform and drug policy um, have been lumped together. Yeah, it has. It goes both ways. It has pros and cons. There's no. There's no one single solution. Of course, it's it's basic. I mean, the conventions are 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 there to to guarantee access to medicine and to protect uh, people from harm. So, um, and everybody knows that cannabis has a huge medical uh, potential. Uh, that has not been recognized by the international treaty. So every step in that direction is a good one. At the same time, what we see is that there's a corporate um, capture of these new emerging markets that is not really beneficial to the ones that people and the communities that have been uh, involved in this industry during prohibition. So... um, Having uh, cannabis still placed on the schedule number one of the 1961 convention means that there will be that let's say governments that are now dealing with re- trying to regulate their internal markets will still have uh, it won't be very useful for them to as a tool let's say to continue to think about what their policy options are so it's a mixed bag. I'd like to hear from you um, what you think are examples of countries that have at least gone in the right direction, um, both from a perspective of holistic policy and, but also uh, what you were talking about before. Yeah, I mean, Uruguay is a good example. I think it, it, it's a small country. It's not a huge. It, it, it doesn't impact uh, the lives of, of of many people, but still, it's a very good example of how how a government can try to find a balance between treaty obligations and respecting human rights and finding a way to uh, creatively uh, uh, solve the problem. Um, can, can I just ask you to explain uh, for our listeners oh, okay, who, might, who might not uh, yeah, necessarily okay. understand the, what's the connection between human rights and, and drug policy and, and drug reform? Yeah, well, I mean, as the, as the Uruguayan government uh, uh, argued, when presenting their regulations for cannabis uh, market was that they have obligations as well in the human rights conventions, which are related to the fact that the treaties on drugs have forced them to criminalize their citizens because they use a certain substance. Uh, they have forced them to put them in jail and, and, and take some rights away from them because of the fact that they use these drugs. So... Um, the balance between drug between drug treaties and human rights is a is a very delicate one and has not been taken into account up till now. This is something that is now starting starting to change, um, and Uruguay has made an effort to try to harmonize these two obligations into uh, this regulation of the cannabis markets. And the the side of the question that's about um, you know farmers who have been cultivating or involved in. Yeah, well, I mean, we we've, we work in, in, in the Caribbean, for example. There's a few examples, Jamaica, St. Vincent. Um, increasingly, more countries are trying to find a way to deal with the demand from civil society to, to regulate the market. Uh, very often, they opt for the medical cannabis uh, option, which is, of course, not entirely... Um, useful for for the demands from from their societies but they uh, the first step most take is to decriminalize people who use cannabis um jamaica was the first one to do it and now there's a, an increasing number of caribbean countries doing it 
in the case of Morocco, we're 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 working with with uh, peasant communities there to see if they could start producing some kind of oil uh, on their uh, local variety and land land race uh, that they have been growing for for decades and centuries to provide to give them a chance for development so they could supply one of the opening markets emerging markets with an oil that they put themselves produce so instead of being a mere resource uh, plant producer they could have a value added and use it as a tool to develop their 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 communities and have uh, additional uh, socioeconomic benefits from it um so this is yeah this is this is quite difficult because of the demands that the markets pose for um european markets and particularly the gmp and the gap and all the all the all the certificates and all the standards that have be, have to be implemented when we're talking about very poor communities they don't have all these access so having a mere having a a straightforward pharmaceutical model is not really helpful for um in this context what we try to do to promote also is that there is um uh, there is a possibility that there are phyto phytotherapeutic products mm-hmm. that uh, do not have such a high demand on quality um, that they could have access to markets as well. So that's yeah, still a long shot, but we're trying to help them to access these markets as well. Yeah. Is decriminalization a helpful sort of halfway point? Um... Well, it's a first step. Yeah, I think, I mean, in a very extreme way, you could say somebody is a patient or or criminal. And it's it's probably neither of them. Most people who use cannabis do that for for enjoyment and relaxation. Uh, they're not sick and they're not criminals either. So the biggest chunk of people who, who use cannabis around the world are simply trying to enjoy their lives and or to relax. And they have no other motivation than, than that. Um, decriminalizing that is is a helpful tool because it would bring down brings down the costs uh, for a state to implement uh, their laws, and it uh, it also is more just and more um, yeah gives a more legitimate gives more legitimacy to the state to uh, to implement their law. So um, it is of of course just one. Step. I mean, finally, markets should be regulated in a manner that is, yeah, not there's not one model that should be used for a regulation because every cultural, every culture is different, every political and socioeconomic situation is different. But uh, what we have seen around the world is that there's, there's a few countries and few few governments trying to attempt within the mar- margins of of the treaties to give some benefits to those people who have been excluded excluded and, and are marginalized because of the prohibition. For example, St. Vincent and the Grenadines have um, legalized their medicinal medical cannabis and they have made a, a real effort to involve the traditional farmers, to give them licenses uh, to provide for an amnesty that they can uh, provide, they can get, a, they become legal legal producers for a, a medical market, which is a very interesting example of how governments could m- use these reforms and these openings to to use uh, to to make it into a developmental issue and to make it into an interesting um, 
beneficial for their for their populations. Yeah. If every you know parliamentarian, every every leader in the world were listening to this right now, what's one message that you think could universally advance cannabis uh, regulation or deregulation in a way that the that people or most people aren't uh, looking at in the right way from your perspective? One of the things that helped understanding. Uh, let's say, what happens to farmers or to communities that grow cannabis is to compare them to French wine, to French grape growers. Okay. <laughs> and to to make the comparison that if at some point in history alcohol would be prohibited or, or the, the world community would say, well, alcohol is really bad for us, we should really get rid of it, then uh, we would start spraying um, wine farmers in France. Because the the grapes that they grow are used to make wine. And wine is something that we don't want people to drink. Right. So if, I mean, this, this it may be helpful for people to realize that if you, if you eradicate communities and, 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 and take away their, their income, um, what, what is actually happening? What, is that legitimate? Is that... Uh, does it make any sense? Why Why would you blame a farmer for a problem that a person could have with cannabis? Um, and maybe, yeah, apart from the fact that it's it's just a plant. I mean, it's just... Uh, uh, it has been here with humankind. Most of its use is not problematic. Most of, 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 of the people who use it have actually are actually enjoying it. It's always... I find it very difficult to always talk about cannabis and drugs as if they're a problem because they're often a solution to people. They they offer solutions. They offer uh, relaxation and joy, which are very fundamental ingredients of the human uh, kind and of life on Earth. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it's it's about beliefs, right? It's about what people believe in and how they how they how they feel about enjoyment and how this could be a danger to to the moral standards in a society um but you know I mean, it's very hard to have discussions about morals yeah because they're very entrenched and they're yeah. they're culturally relative and you know even very much so within cultures um have you have you found a formula for for breaking through that for for penetrating those Sort of moral arguments? No, because they're, they're, as you say, I mean, people, these, these are hard things to, to you, I mean, it's not our, we do not pretend to remove moral or, or to change moral beliefs about uh, things. It, it's just that it should not be the most important ingredient of any, any policy, <laughs> you know, it's about, it should be about, you know, what, what, the harms or the risks that it involves and, and, and the benefits that it brings, it should be a balanced, more balanced approach. And it, it is not now. So maybe that's the, ba- the best message. It should be, I mean, drug policy should be balanced. It should not be based on moral beliefs. And it should be um, cannabis in particular, but also other drugs. Uh, respect the wisdom of the, of the peoples who have been using it for ages and, and see how they can we, can, we can use their knowledge and their insights for our benefit. Thank you very much for being with us. <laughs> okay, you're welcome. You're 
I'm Michael Schaefer Omerman. This episode was edited, produced, and mixed by myself with technical assistance from Alana Goldberg. If you liked what you heard on this episode, please rate, subscribe, and review. It really helps others find us, and it'll make sure that you know the next time we put out a new episode. Music